Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. We are um, going through a teaching series that we're simply calling in Jesus' own words. Um, It's a teaching series that um, I don't know how long it's going to go, quite frankly. Jim uh, Erskine, one of our other elders, and I were talking last week, and uh, we were just saying, you know, well, I mean, until we're done with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and all of Jesus' words, you know, why move on to something else, you know? So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But um, it's been very encouraging. Hopefully it's been encouraging to you as we've uh, discovered some things that Jesus has said that helps us understand who he is uh, a lot better. You know, if you're newer with us, we've been saying it this way. Um, We believe firmly that Jesus Christ lives in us. In fact, you, you can't deny it. If you read the apostles' writings, Christ in you, your hope of glory, uh, that, that when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall appear with him in glory. I mean, he, he lives in us. He is one with us. We are one with him. We are one with God. Um, but the question that we're now faced with is, who is this Jesus who lives in us? Who is this God? Um, I've shared with you over the years that I had a very different understanding of who Jesus was uh, than I have now. Um, I had a very different view of who God the Father is than I have now, even the Holy Spirit. In fact, I don't want to get, I don't have time to to chase this rabbit, but it just ran through my head, and so you got to chase it a little bit. I was taught that the Holy Spirit lives in me to bring to my memory all of my sins so that I can then, every night, get on my knees and ask, God to forgive me of my sins so that I can be okay with God. That's what I was taught. That's what I used to teach, that the Holy Spirit lives in me to bring to mind every single sin that I did that particular day. Well, the problem is I began to read the scriptures that says that the Holy Spirit was coming. This is Jesus in John 14, uh, John 16 that he might convict the world of sin because the world doesn't believe. But I'm just coming to you so that you might know, you believers might know what is actually yours in Christ. And Hebrews 10 says the following, the Holy Spirit testifies. So we're about to get some testimony from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies. Behold, the days are coming when I'll enact a new covenant between you and the Lord. And in this new covenant... I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. So I got a question for you. I'm not the sharp, sharpest tool in the shed, right? That's not a good time for an amen, Bob. <laughs> I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I can do some math. If I was taught and I used to teach and I used to believe that the Holy Spirit lives in me to convict me of sins so that I could get forgiven of sins... But yet the scripture says that the Holy Spirit himself testifies that I remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. Those two things can't both be right. You follow me? One is going to be true and one is going to be false. For me, this is just where I'm at. If the scripture says the Holy Spirit testifies that he remembers my sin no more, but yet I grew up in believing something else, I'm just dumb enough to go with what the scripture says instead of what I was taught. Does that make sense? And that's all we're trying to do here at Life Journey. What does the scripture actually say? So that's what I mean. I don't want you guys hanging on words that I say or other elders say. Uh, uh, um, uh, David spoke last week. It's not about what we say. It's about what the spirit of God is actually revealing to us through his word 
in our heart so that we actually believe what actually has taken place. And so we're embarking in this journey of getting to know Jesus because it's possible that many of us have developed a definition of even Jesus that isn't what the scriptures actually define him as. And so that's why we've been doing this in his own words. Don't take my words for it. Don't take even the apostles' words for it, though their word is good. Let's just go back to Jesus' words and see what he says. So today, we're going to embark on a very, very important two-week teaching. So today's only going to cover half, and next week is going to be the other half. There's just way too much in our time to try to do it all in one Sunday. Um, we are very familiar with Jesus walking on water, right? We're going to see Jesus walking on water next week. Well, not see, but you know, we're going to read about it. I didn't have my video camera going on me, did it? Um, but after he walks on water, which we'll get into that next week, at the very end, the writer of the book of Mark says, he did this because they did not, under, they, the disciples, did not understand the point of the feeding of the 5,000. So let's, let's, let's put our brains together here. Jesus walks on water because they didn't understand the more important thing, the feeding of the 5,000. And so what we're going to look at today is the feeding of the 5,000. And the next week, we're going to look at the very next passage, which is Jesus walking on water. And we're going to see how the two help communicate a very amazing and unbelievable reality of who Jesus actually is. Okay, let me pray for us, and we're going to embark. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go to Mark chapter 6. Father, I just thank you for this morning. We are here again, as I've said, not to hear me, not to hear some thoughts I might have, but we're here prayerfully to hear from your Spirit and to have Christ Jesus himself become so real to us, become so personal to us, because this is not simply a teaching, this is not simply a doctrine, this is not simply a religion, this is actually a union, a relationship between the God of the universe, you, and we, the bride of Christ. So, Father, I just pray that the words I have this morning will be heard, but I pray that, more importantly, the truth of Jesus Christ would be evident in our hearts and in our minds. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you in Mark chapter 6? Okay, so we're going to pick up in verse 31. I mean, sorry, verse 33. But just a quick little background of what's going on in Mark chapter 6. So Jesus sent out the disciples. In fact, he sent a lot of them out to go out to various towns and to, uh, to minister, to share the good news. And he said to them, don't take um, money, don't take food, you know, just go and, you know, you'll be taken care of. Very strange. You know, usually we count the cost. Usually we say, hey, you know, how much money am I going to need for this? How much food? Let's pack it up. But Jesus says, no, don't take any food with you. Don't take any bread. Don't take any money. Just go and tell people about the good news. And so they did this for for an extended period of time. I'm not exactly sure how long. They did this for a while. And then they came back to Jesus and they started reporting to Jesus everything that had happened, you know, all the stories, you know, all the different events that happened. And they were tired. I mean, they had been going on this sort of this, if we'll call it a mission trip, for a while they were tired. And so Jesus says to them, all right, let's get together. Let's get in the boat. Let's go across the, the, uh, the Sea of Galilee and let's take some R&R, some rest and relaxation. You guys are tired. I'm tired. We've been doing a lot of stuff. Let's go and relax. So they get in the boat and they start traveling to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And verse 33 picks up. The people saw them going. Who are these people? These are the people that, the, that they have been sharing the good news with for an extended period of time. They saw them going and many recognized them and ran together on foot from all the cities. And they got there ahead of them. 
So they see the boat going across the river, uh, the river, uh, the, the sea, and all these people say, man, that's the Jesus that these guys have been telling us about. Yeah, that guy right there in the front who's rowing, he's the one who told me about the guy sitting in the back. And they all start following, and this crowd starts gathering, and they end up on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is a big, you know, good-sized uh, lake. They end up in the other place before they even arrive, verse 34. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Now, we've already looked at what Jesus has been teaching. And the, de the de description that the people who have been hearing Jesus is teaching is this. He is teaching us something that the scribes and the Pharisees do not teach. The scribes and the Pharisees have been teaching us about Moses. They've been teaching us about behavior modification. They've been teaching us about sin management. But Jesus has become teaching something totally different, something totally new. And so he begins to teach him on the other side of the river. Now, I love the disciples of Jesus. Look at verse 35. In verse 35, it says, When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate. I want everybody to say desolate. I like that word for some reason. I don't know why, Angie. Say desolate. Desolate. I don't know. I just, it's a funny word. Desolate. This place is desolate. That word desolate means it's a wilderness. It means it's a desert. It means it's uninhabitable. It means that it is, un nothing's been cultivated. There's nothing growing. This place is desolate. There's nothing going on here. There's no life. Now listen, we're going to come back to this and try to unpack what this means. I have some thoughts on all this that could be right, could be wrong. You can share your thoughts when we get to our discussion time. But if we miss out on the description of this place where they've landed, then we're going to miss out on the whole big picture of what Jesus is doing with this feeding of 5,000 people in a minute. The disciples described the place as desolate, lifeless. The hour is late. It's time to go. It's quite late. Verse 36, therefore, Jesus, we want you to send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So we get the picture. There's nothing for them. It's desolate land, no life, no sustenance, sustenance nothing to eat. Um, send them out take their money that they worked hard to earn, that they labored for, that they built furniture, that they farmed, get their money of the fruit of their labor and send them out to go eat and buy food for themselves. But he answered them, verse 37, you give them something to eat. Now, <clears throat> I don't wanna pretend to speak for the Lord, but um, I can't imagine being a disciple here, did I just get louder really sudden? I don't know, it seems really loud. Um, is it loud? Yeah, can you turn it down just a little bit? Yeah, thanks. Um, I can't, I don't want to speak for the Lord, but how in the world, imagine being a disciple, how in the world you were just told by the Lord to not take any food for you to go on this mission trip, if you will. Don't take any money, don't take any food. And then now all these people who have been hearing about this person of Jesus have all gathered on a shore. You haven't, been, have, you haven't had any bread with you for days. And now Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now look, if I was one of those disciples, I'll tell you what I would have said. Wait a minute, me give them something to eat? You told me not to carry any bread. What are you thinking, Jesus? Have you lost your marbles? What's going on? Maybe Jesus is talking about something much more important than bread. Okay? Let's keep reading. You give him something. No, we're still on that verse. Go back. Sorry. You give him something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? The disciples are thinking physical. They're thinking of this world. They're thinking of like actual bread. They're saying it's going to take 200 denarii. That's a lot of money in today's term. We're going to take all this money and we're going to go off to the market and we're going to, how are we going to even transport that back here for these people to eat? They're thinking in this world. 
the terms of the flesh. Like, this doesn't add up, Jesus. What are you thinking? And then he says to them, I love this. How many, this is the next verse, how many loaves do you have? I like that, you have. What do you already have? Go look. And they found out how much they had. And this is what they had amongst them. They had five loaves. And they had some fish. You know, when, we're, when we read through this, we're going to see that the fish were just kind of like an add-on. The big deal was the fish. How many loaves? do you, He didn't say how many loaves and fish do you have. He said how many loaves do you have? He said five and, you know, we have a couple fish. He wanted them to take inventory of what they already had. We're going to come back to that in a second. All these red letters we're going to come back to, these red words. And he commanded them all to sit. Now think of the comparison. The disciples were saying they need to go out and spend all of their hard work money that they have earned you know, by laboring. They need to go out and buy food for themselves. And now Jesus is saying, no, 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 not, no don't spend this, this fruit of your labor I want you to come and sit. You see the difference there? Sitting, resting versus spending money that you worked hard for, labor. I want you to sit down by groups on the grass, the green grass. Now, I got a question for us. Where are they? They're in a desolate wilderness. Where's green grass on a desolate wilderness? I don't know. But apparently now there's green grass for them to sit in this place that is lifeless, described as desolate by the disciples, verse 41, we'll come back to the, and they said, oh, sorry, verse 40, they, came, they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Why? I don't know, but they did. But they're sitting instead of laboring. Verse 41, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food, and he broke the loaves, and he kept giving them. That's in red because we're going to come back to that in a second. Kept giving them. That's a part of speech in Greek that means it happened and then it continued happening and it continued happening and it continued happening and it continued happening. It's called the imperfect tense for any of the Greek geeks out there. It continued happening. He kept giving bread, but he only had five to start with, but he kept giving it to them giving it to disciples to set before the people. And, and again, it's like this afterthought. He divided up the fish as well. It's like this, the afterthought, the fish. Verse 42, and here's, now remember, the land that they were in, the disciples, disciples, the disciples described it as what? What's that cool word? Desolate, lifeless, void, desert, They ate, and they were what? Satisfied. Uh, If we miss the the dichotomy, the, the huge difference between desolate and satisfied, we're gonna miss the whole point of the feeding of the 5,000. You see, so many of us, myself included, thought the feeding of the 5,000 was a cool children's story to just teach children about how cool Jesus is. He can take some loaves and make, you know, five loaves, 10 loaves. He can make enough bread for everybody to eat. That is cool. I mean, that is awesome. He is the God that can call from that which does not exist something into existence. That is awesome. But what I'm trying to get us to see this morning is something so much bigger than that. There was this place of lifelessness, desolate land, that now these people are satisfied And if you're not already kind of going to where we're going to go, you'll get there hopefully with us once we get there. They picked up 12 baskets, 12 baskets of the broken pieces, leftovers, I presume. And see how it just throws the fish in again and also the fish. I'm not saying the fish isn't important. I don't know, but it seems like it's really about the bread. I don't know. It's like, and the fish also. Somebody had some fish. But he asked, how many loaves do you have? And there's 12 baskets of, lo- of, of, of bread left over, and there's some fish also. Now look at verse 44. This is probably the verse that most skeptics will probably just not believe if you, have, if you, if you believe the other. There were 5,000 men who ate 
the loaves. See, he doesn't even talk about fish here. The emphasis, I think, is on the bread. 5,000 men. Why they didn't count women and children, we've talked about this before, the hierarchical system where women and children are at the bottom and then, you know, men and elders and priests, you know, there's a hierarchical system. So they counted the men. So there are 500 men. Let's just assume they were all married. So now we got 5,000 women. And let's say they have 2.5 kids, right? So now we're dealing with, you know what? Uh, I'm not good. I'm telling you, I'm not that good at math. I told you that earlier. Um, so like 20,000, you know, 2,500 people with five loaves and two fish, and they all ate until they were what? Full, satisfied. Now, here's what I'm going to paint. That's the, we all know this. We all know what we've just read. And that's very, that, and, and that alone is amazing and enough to write home about. But what I want us to do is in our few, we've got about 10, 15 minutes of my time left, and then we're going to open up the floor for some discussion. I want us to sort of unpack that a little bit and see what might be going on greater under the physical surface. Maybe it's more than just about hungry stomachs getting full by some magic working breads that get multiplied. Maybe Jesus is actually teaching us something so much bigger than that. So big, in fact, that the disciples didn't get it. So Jesus next week is going to walk on water in order to get them to see it. We all together? Let's go back to the beginning. Well, you can leave. I mean, if you want to follow us to the verses that we're going to talk about, that's cool, uh, uh, Drew. So we talked about being desolate, this land being desolate. I mean, I think that's a picture of something. I think that's a picture what what status of humanity is more desolate than the reality of the fact that we, apart from Christ, we in Adam are absolutely desolate. Do you see that? When we, with Adam, sinned, we fell short of the glory of God. That means that it doesn't matter how good you are, how good I am, how many things we do to try to do good, and let's do good. Let's do good without ceasing, without weary. Let's do good. But doing good doesn't take desolate and make it satisfied. The entire human race, after Adam and Eve, comes into this world, you and I, desolate lifeless, hopeless. The disciples' description of the land that they were sitting in is not just description of, you know, some acreage on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus brings them there to show them something so much bigger. Look, fellas, humanity is desolate, uncultivatable. Nothing within Adam that is life-giving. You see, the Jews, they thought that the law was gonna give them life. And so the law came in, and in fact, the law didn't come in to give them life. The law came in, and what actually increased? Life or sinning? What increased? Sinning. Paul says in Romans chapter five, verse 20, that when the law came in, trespasses increased. Man, that just fries some circuits in our brains when we think about that. The law actually increases trespasses, actually increases. I thought we tried to live by the law in order to curb sinning. And Paul says, no, the law doesn't curb sinning. The law actually expands. It ignites sinning. In 1 Corinthians 15, 56, Paul says that the power of sin is the law. We think, no, the power of sin is lawlessness. Well, I'm just telling you what Paul said. The power of sin is the law. You don't believe me, do you? Here's a quick little, we've done this before. We'll do it again today. We've got some new folk. Do not think of a pink elephant. Right? Do not think of a pink elephant. Don't think of a pink elephant with the pink trunk, with the pink legs, with the pink little curly, you know, cue that the tail where the other little baby pink elephant's got his little trunk, you know, you know how they do that, right? You know, the baby with the trunk and the tail of mama. Don't think of pink elephants with pink tusk, right? Don't think of a pink elephant, the big pink ears. Don't think of a pink elephant. What are you thinking of? A pink elephant. You see how the law actually 
excites the thoughts that it's telling you to not do. And that's what Paul says in Romans 7. I didn't even know what coveting was until I read the law. It said, do not covet. And then now I find myself coveting all sorts of coveting things and thoughts. The law excites sin. And so Jesus is saying with these people in this desolate land, look, Adam and his descendants, humanity is desolate. And the law was even given to this people group, the Jews, so that they would see just how desolate they actually are. And the disciples said in verse 36, if you remember, hey, Jesus, these people in this desolate land need to go and take care of it themselves. Do you see that? He said, send them to the surrounding villages so that they can buy some life, so they can buy some sustenance, so they can buy some satisfaction. Do you see what they said? Jesus, they need to purchase for themselves some food. Why does Jesus not say, hey, hey, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, sure, send them on down the road. Maybe it's because Jesus had something bigger in mind to teach us today, 2,000 years later, that no matter how much we think we can purchase our own satisfaction, purchase our own rescuing from that desolate reality of being an Adam, there is no money enough to purchase our own satisfaction. Think of the dichotomy. Again, this desolate land, and, they are, and, and the disciples say, let's take the fruit of their hard labor to rescue them from this desolate hunger. And Jesus ultimately says, what do you have? What do you have to give them? See, the disciples are still obviously not thinking about spiritual things. I mean, they don't have the spirit living in them. But here's what I envision Jesus trying to communicate to them. Nothing produced by the works of our flesh is going to rescue us from the desolate reality of our life in Adam. What is it you disciples have that you can give them to satisfy this desolate hunger. And maybe it's not so much what do you have that we should think about, but maybe it's who do you have? Who do you have within you that can actually bring satisfaction to a desolate people? And so they look through all their stuff and they bring, they bring some loaves, five of them. Yeah, there's a couple fish too. They bring some loaves, some bread. And we've seen this already. Jesus calling himself the bread last week. I am the bread of heaven, the bread of life. So you think Jesus is really focused just about, you know, this magic trick, you know, some David Blaine stuff of feeding 5,000 people? I think it's something so much bigger, something so much deeper. He is revealing to them, them that he, in fact, is this bread of life, that he and he alone is the one who's able to take the desolate and make it satisfied, and so they bring the bread to him and a couple fish. And he starts blessing it. And see what it says there? It says, this is in verse, oh, it says on the sit down. We talked about that a second ago. Sit down, rest, stop trying to spend your own money. Stop trying to take your own effort, take your own flesh. Stop trying to do it on your own. Sit down in the green grass. You know, that made me think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now think about that. We look out and we see desolate land. Somehow, I don't know how, there's green pastures there. Sit down. Stop trying to do it your own. Stop trying to do it by yourself. Relax. One of the greatest books I've ever read is a book called Relaxing with God by a guy named Andrew Farley. Relax. Stop trying to create it because you can't. You ain't got enough money. You ain't got enough effort. You ain't got enough. You are desolate by nature. Sit down in this green grass and watch what I am going to do for you. Sit down. 
and he took those loaves. Remember, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I think it's so cool that Jesus didn't just start passing around the bread to the crew. He does what? He breaks it. Think of the cross. I mean, Jesus didn't just go up there, you know, because it was just a, you know, a lazy Friday afternoon. He went up on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, and his body was broken. There's this old song, my, you probably heard my parents sing it, Broken and Spilled Out. Remember that one? Broken and Spilled Out. And so Jesus doesn't just pass around the bread for them to break. He breaks it. Doesn't that remind you, Jeff, of that passage that no one takes my life from me, but I willingly lay it down for my sheep. Wow. He breaks the bread. Yeah, there's some fish too. But he breaks the bread. And he, go to verse uh, 41. And he kept giving it. 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 Did he keep giving it till everyone was satisfied? Say no. He kept giving until there was 12 baskets left over. More than satisfied. Do you see that? He kept giving, he kept breaking, and he kept giving. And there was a point where he stopped giving because, as we'll hear in Jesus' own words, maybe in some months from now, some years from now, it is finished. Everyone had what they needed and more, 12 baskets more than what they actually needed. Verse 42, they all ate and they were satisfied. Again, let's don't just think about this little organ in the belly called the stomach. Something so much bigger here that Jesus is revealing. They ate and they were satisfied. Reminds me, Doug, of that passage where Jesus says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have nothing to do with me. A very strange saying. Very harsh, in fact, so harsh that a lot of people actually stop following Jesus. It's like, look, you can do that Jeffrey Dahmer stuff, but we're just going to kind of, you know, stick to the bread, you know. But he's not talking about his physical body. He's moved beyond to talk about actually receiving him, ingesting him and his life and his finished work for us. Unless you believe me, unless you receive me, then you can have nothing to do with me, he's saying. They ate the bread that he had broken and they were satisfied so much so that they had 12 baskets left over. Let's don't forget that. Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for the sins of the world isn't just enough. It's more than enough. You see that? It's more than enough. And so when we get a little freaked out about our sinning, yeah, we should not be sinning. Sinning is no good for us. It's not uh, who we are anymore. But we get freaked out about our sinning, thinking, oh my goodness, I just did that again. Is the Lord now going to hold this against me? Is the Lord now going to kick me out? Is the Lord now going to fill in the blank? Or we get these thoughts of, but what if I do this? Or what if I do that? Oh, what if I, what if I, what if I? And the focus is turned off of the one who has given and kept giving to where it's more than enough to now thinking selfishly, that my sinning, my actions are greater than the body and the bread of blood of Christ that was broken and shed for us. They all ate and they were satisfied. That word satisfied, like John already called out, means full. It means, you know, next Thursday is what? Turkey Day. And there is going to be some satisfaction taking place on Turkey Day. And when you're laid back in the Lazy Boy watching, you know, the lions lose to somebody, you're going you're gonna to be satisfied. 
Somebody's going to come up to you with another big pie of piece of pumpkin something with, man, yeah. Um, and you're going to be like, oh, I've got more than enough. Do you see this? He is more than enough. And there were 5,000 men who ate loaves that day, 25,000 or more total. Who knows how many total? So I'm here to say to you that the feeding of the 5,000 very well may have more to do with the person of who Jesus is and what he had come to do than it is just some sort of really awesome, really cool, really fantastic miracle trick that he did to get some food in the belly of 5,000 men. Does that make sense? So let's think about this. No matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter how you got here this morning, because of Adam and Eve, something you never had any control over, but because of Adam and Eve, thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden, sin entered into this world, and you were born into that sin. And that reality, that sin, the, uh, uh, is, the judgment of the sin is death, desolate. And there's nothing that we could ever do in a million lifetimes to create life out of death. But there is one, his name is Jesus, the God-man who, who entered into the human race and on the cross took the sin of the world into himself. Thus, this is crazy, actually plunging the entire Adamic race into death, judgment, so that upon faith in Christ, we can now be raised a whole new creation a whole new race, a whole new people, no longer black, white, male, female, Jew, Gentile, but now one in Christ Jesus. Bone of his bone, flesh of, my, of his flesh. One of the coolest things in the world is to realize what happened between Adam and Eve was a shadow of what happens between us and Christ. You guys remember this, and I know I've said this before, but when God created Adam, he filed the entire animal race in front of Adam. And Adam named them. He said, man, this is really cool. But he found nothing that was suitable for himself. That's another word I like, like desolate, suitable. I don't know. I just like it. Nothing was suitable for Adam. And then God caused Adam to go into a deep sleep. And while Adam was sleeping... God pulled, he didn't go to back to the earth to create Eve. He actually pulled out of Adam Eve and he formed her in her beauty. And Adam woke up and he said, whoa, man. That's why she's called woman, right? Whoa, man. But he said, now this is what I'm talking about. He said, this is now what's satisfying to me. She is now compatible with me and I with her. She is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You can read this in Genesis chapter two and three. But that was a shadow of something so much better, something so much bigger in Christ. You see, before 2,000 years ago, the last Adam, Jesus Christ himself, looked across the entirety of creation of the human race and he saw that no one was suitable for him. As Adam back in the garden looking at the animals, nothing suitable for Adam. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, looking out across the humanity saying nothing is suitable for me. And so God the Father put Jesus Christ into a sleep for three days called death. And upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ three days later, now something had been created, a whole new creation. Peter calls it a royal priesthood, a holy nation has been created. Now, no longer of this world, no longer originating from Adam, but now actually as Eve was pulled from Adam, now the church, the bride of Christ, now born of the very spirit of God, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. As Eve was compatible with Adam because she came from him, you and I who believe in Jesus are compatible with him in all ways because we've been born of him. 
Now that's a good place to say amen. It's awesome. Compatible with the God of the universe. Satisfied. Now the disciples didn't see that. The disciples didn't get it. They were told to get some fish and some, or get some bread. And they were like, what is this amongst so many people? And so next week, Jesus helps them understand it by walking on some water, which we'll get into that next week. Here's our journey marker this morning as I wrap up my thoughts. Jesus, so remember, we're trying to get to know Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Is he just a really cool David Copperfield who can like, you know, make food for 5,000 people? You know, I mean, that is awesome. I don't want to take a single thing away from that. That is awesome. But there's something so much bigger. Jesus is satisfaction in the most desolate place. There is nothing more desolate than your origin in Adam. Nothing. The valley of dry bones, Ezekiel calls it. Ezekiel, was it 36, 37, whatever it is? The valley of dry bones, but all of a sudden he started seeing life come to it. Life come to stuff that was dead. Listen, there's nothing more desolate than the reality of your life in Adam. But Jesus Christ himself, the bread of heaven, has broken his body, broken himself on the cross so that more than enough satisfaction comes. Life where there was desolate emptiness. So those are the thoughts I have about the feeding of the 5,000. Um, there's a whole lot more there. We're running out of time. I want We have about 20 minutes or so before we take off. Um, and I just want to open up the floor to some discussions, some questions, some, but what about some, how have you, you know, you lost your rockers on this. What, what, how can you say this? Um, I don't know, whatever you may want to share and say. We've got our handy-dandy little microphone. Check, check. Um, Ricky, check, check. Check, check. There you go. So if anybody might have some questions, some thoughts, some um, uh, corrective uh, understandings, we'd, be lo- we'd love to have you share. Anybody have any question, thought, comment, word of encouragement? Oh, man, that made me think about this, or I don't know. Well, that's rare. Nobody has anything to say. All right. Um, I'm st- Hello? I guess I'm still stuck back before the sermon. Um, although this, the talk, I think, has a lot to do with my thought on this. Um, actually, what, what April shared really kind of blew me away this morning um, because you were very um, real and you kind of spoke to me about what life in Christ is in this world because we are not perfect. We still have sin kind of clinging to us one of my favorite verses in scripture is um, I was just kind of reading through it but it says before that verse don't fear their intimidation but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts always being ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you yet with gentleness and reverence and I think you know throughout the world, more so in America lately, over the last, I've seen, you know, last 34 years, 30 or 40 years, a country turning more and more away from God towards, you know, human secularism, me generation, and, but yet, we live in the midst of all this muck and mire that is that, and we still, and it clings to us ourselves, but yet, I mean, just how absolutely mind-blowing it is that we are jars of clay stuck here and all that, but yet that God would show his glory and hope to a lost world 
through us, through indwelling in us. And uh, I think if we were honest, we would all, you know, join hands with April in and, and saying, <laughs> you know, at work, in my family, um, blown it, um, acted like the world, forgot that I have an amazing Savior who loves me no matter what. Um, that's all. I just wanted to share that. Thanks, Bob. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I thought, yeah, Jim. I almost feel like I never need a microphone. You all know I'm fairly loud. Um, Amen. This, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving, yes. Um, it just this, this is just another example today, the, the lesson we got today, of how I feel like I am, which is I earn everything. I have to earn it. Um, God's love, I have to earn it. Salvation, I have to earn it. That's just the way that I think, the way that it's been developed to me. I think it's common to man. Um, but this is just another part of the Bible, and God knew we were dumb, and that we needed to be reminded hundreds of times that his ways are not our ways, and that you don't have to earn this. This is given to you, and that's what's great in this lesson. As many times as I've heard it, as many times as I've heard it, and, you know, just as a child and even uh, older in uh, sermons, I've never put together the fact that there was a very specific point that Jesus made in this, that this is not what you do. This is what I am doing, what I'm done for us now. And that's just an amazing part of this. I love these reminders. I love the fact that you pick it up and share it with us. Again, as I read these things, I don't seem to catch these things as easily as you do. Um, And that's what makes it great for me to come here every week. I feel like I'm learning every week something new and different that I had never picked up before. And that's part of growing. And that's why I love this church. Amen. Appreciate the encouragement. No, you sure? Yeah, Brennan? <clears throat> so I was kind of thinking, what's the deal with the fish? And I started thinking about it. That You think back to the Old Testament with the Hebrews walking through the desert and the manna from heaven. Mm-hmm. And what they do? They grumbled. They said, we can't live on bread alone. And so God provided quail. And when I look at this, I see Jesus providing the bread that you can live on alone, plus even more, like you said, because there's more bread, plus even the fish, which is more than you could ever ask for. Mm-hmm. There's, no re- there's nothing to ever complain about because he's taking care of everything and even beyond your wildest imagination. Amen. That's the way I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I thought, yeah, okay. Lou, do you mind taking it back to Lou? <clears throat> I'm a newbie, and uh, love what's being taught here. I just want to pick up on what this gentleman over here had said, is that... Uh, Jesus is just the opposite in everything, okay, that our natural thinking does. And ever since we are born, we're taught to do the right things as children before our parents. If you don't, you're going to be punished. Better make your bed, wash the dishes, pick up your clothes. You go to school, you have to make grades, okay? If you're a swimmer, you better swim faster, and uh, in school, you better be cool or you won't be popular or accepted and you're uh, rejected and you're a nerd. And it is relentless how that is pounded into us. And I think that we all know it's a trick of the evil one. And it's just a perfect reminder of Jesus saying it's the exact opposite. And so, you know, stop striving and know that I am God, you know? And uh, so even at work, we want that raise so we can make more money 
to give the children and my the wife and everything everything we want, what we think we need, okay? And um, so I just wanted to make that point is that that's what we're bombarded with all the time. And God, God is just so full of mercy and grace and love. And how hard it is to minister to people, to share Christ, to get them to get that when they're so full up with everything else, like they say. In, other, in, order, in, in order to take his grace, you have to empty what you've got so you can fill that up, you know. And so enough said. Uh, just wanted to point that out. Amen. Thanks, Lou. That's fantastic. You know, it, the, 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 again, it's that dichotomy. It's the difference between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of earth, we can see very clearly. But God calls the kingdom of earth, he calls it the kingdom of darkness. But we can see it. It's darkness. What do you mean it's darkness? We can see it. But the kingdom of heaven, he calls often the kingdom of light. But we can't see it. It's, it's that dichotomy of everything that's opposite. Somebody said already the, the, um, um, his ways are not our ways. And, and, and who can know the mind of God, et cetera, and so forth. And I just think that there's, there's I, I, a gentleman shared this with me a while back, and I think it's so true. As the Lord reveals things to us, like what we saw this morning, the, the freedom that we have now in Christ, the life we have now in Christ, the finished work of Christ, Christ himself who is our set, as that is being revealed to us, that's awesome. We need the revelation or else we're not going to get it at all. But equal to that is the reminder. And that's what Jim is saying, the reminder We've got to be reminded of what has been revealed or else we end up thinking the way that we used to think, the stinking thinking. And then, you know, I love 2 Peter chapter 1. Go home, do yourself a, a huge service and read 2 Peter chapter 1. He, he waxes eloquently on all these things we have in Christ and all this stuff. And he says, I'm writing this to you. You already know it, but I'm writing it to you so that you'll remember it's not about learning new things. That's, 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 but most of it, we already know this. We already know two plus two is four. But some reason, because the world has always taught us otherwise, we, we've gone chasing it to think it's, it's five, it's, it's three, it's whatever. And so we have to be reminded, wow, it does equal four. Wow, the Holy Spirit can't both convict me of my sin and hold it against me if he also doesn't remember it. I mean... And hold, it remembers it no more. So we have to be reminded because religion and the knowledge of the, of the tree of, the, of good and evil, it's so ingrained in our thinking. But Paul says, I've been crucified to this world. And this world's been crucified to me. He saw a whole new creation. He saw a whole new reality. You remember how Jesus let the disciples see it a little bit? He went up to the Mount Transfiguration and he pulled back the veil of his flesh and shone through that was a whiteness so white no person could create on this world. There is another reality that we've been born into. And if we think that this is it, if we think that this is where we get life, we're going to be sorely, sorely, sorely mistaken. And uh, we have to be reminded of that because we forget. We're in here for about an hour, and we're in the rest of the world, you know, all week long. And we forget. We need to be reminded. Jamie? Okay. So what jumped out to me when we were reading that was the fact that Jesus asked, what do you have? And then he asked for all of it. He didn't say, give me half of what you have, and I'll multiply it. He said, give me all of what you have. And then he multiplied it. Good point. A lot of times people say that, you know, being a Christian is, you know, I, I gave my life to God. And that's, that's, that's a part of it, yeah. But it's an exchange. It's called the great exchange. You, your life, yeah, was given to him. It was crucified with him. It was buried. And he now has given you something, his life. And so what would you rather have, five measly loaves or so much so that you're not only satisfied, you got 12 baskets left over? Five will run out pretty soon, especially if I'm eating at your table. Great word, Jamie. 
Yeah, I thought, yeah, Jeff, would you mind, Jamie, pass that back to Jeff? Yeah, while, while Jim over there was talking, uh, um, something really came to me as really interesting. It was just that, um, you know, there's passages in the Old uh, Testament that talks about for us the heavens are higher, uh, higher than the earth. Right. So are my ways higher than yeah. your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And, um, you know, this whole, the way God designed to do this is just so, as, as you were saying, so opposite to what we'll ever do or what we'd have, we, would, we would have ever thought about doing. Um, the way I kind of think about it, and that what kind of helps me to understand it a little better, is by thinking about this as God is doing this through an inheritance model, right? Where, you know, my, my dad passed away, and he gave me what he had, right? I didn't work for it. Uh, there was nothing that I did or could do to be disinherited in that way, right? It was, it was not my house, it was not my money, it, was, it came from him, he earned it. It's the same thing as Christ. Christ basically earned this and is bequeathing it to us. So there's nothing, just as in the physical, there's very little we can do to get out of that. Um, it's kind of inheritance. He is, we, we have inherited this. And, um, and that's why the works and what we do and what we say and how we are does not matter, and it will never matter. Will? When the world ends, does Jesus' followers um, suffer as well? When the world ends, will Jesus' followers suffer as well? Um, uh, how, you mean like, as in how, how the world ends? Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's, uh, in fact, we'll get into some of Jesus' teaching in Mark chapter 13, you know, eventually, um, of how he talks about some of this stuff. Um, <clears throat> Perhaps I can answer a very long, long, long answer with a very short and probably unsatisfactory answer of, um, uh, I don't think so at all, at all. Uh, why do you say that? Well, well, that's the long answer that we might not have time to get into, but I would say not at all. Um, can I say this? Um, I'm going to stand over on the side for this. I don't want this to be like on the record. Um, in fact, <clears throat> I know many of us are very, very committed to this thing called a seven-year future, seven-year tribulation model, where the first three and a half years are great, and the second three and a half years are, you know, probably what you're talking about, the great tribulation. Um, when I read Daniel 9, I just don't see that being something that happens in the future. We might have half of the church come back next week because they think I'm spitting heresy right here. That's why I'm standing over on the side. Um, but I don't see a future seven-year tribulation that's commonly taught, that I was taught very... In fact, that whole teaching really didn't come about until like the 1850s, to be honest with you, with, with uh, Darby and um, the uh, Schofield Reference Bible, and etc. So um, I would say no, but I could be dead wrong on that. What do you think? I asked you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but there's a lot of different opinions on that. My dad has a very, very different opinion than I have on that. Um, but that's that's uh, not a that's an unknown for sure. Only I have one last thought. We got we got some time left. Any other thought? Oh, sorry. Yes, Miss Ida. Um, I'm still fairly new, but to get back to the lesson, today's lesson with uh, Jesus feeding five thousands, my intake on this section of the Bible was when he told the disciples to feed them, he didn't tell them to go out and buy anything or to go get anything. He was telling them to feed them. Mm. He wanted him to 
fulfill his ministry. He was going to provide. So my intake on this is when Jesus tells you to do something, whether you feel you can do it or, or not, he's going to provide the way right. for you to do what he tells you to do. Amen. Right on. And in fact, we'll get to that some next week because, um, so he tells them to do something sort of ridiculous, feed 5,000 people with five loaves. And they're like, how in the world is that possible? I mean, paraphrase. Next week, we're going to see Jesus, and I don't want to get into next week's message, but he's going to tell them to do something that they've been doing since they were younger than Will. He tells them to get in the boat and row across. They can do that. Well, if you've read The Walking on the Water, you realize that they can't even do what they thought that they could do very easily on their own. And so we'll get into that some next week, but that's so true. I think that's a big point of when you try to do something out of your own will, your own effort, your own flesh, um, and not by his strength, man, we're operating even some very good obedience, but it can be operated out of the flesh rather than out of dependence upon him. Right on. Uh, yes, John. Thanks, Ida. You got to hit the bottom. Yeah, there you go. Now go. Is it on now? Yeah. Isn't it wonderful that we don't have anything to brag about? We don't have anything except joy. I'd like to sing that as my last hymn to you today. But remember this. All the law is filled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Psalms 115, 1, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and thy truth's sake. Lot said, J is for Jesus, for he has first place. O is for others we meet face to face. Y is for you in whatever you do. Put yourself last and spell joy. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's be cl uh, close with a word of prayer. And um, I, I do, do, I just want to take 30 seconds to remind everyone that if uh, you're signing up for... Um, uh, the Thanksgiving lunch next week, please do that either through the website or at the table right out here. Uh, um, Carrie is going to be, you want to just sit right here at this table? Okay, right here we've got 10 um, angels to be adopted. Um, and in, in this one last thought, <clears throat> we've, had, we've had people come into Life Journey and leave over the course of the last, you know, four or five years because they hear this same message being proclaimed over and over, Jesus is enough, Jesus is enough, Jesus is enough. And they hear that message, and they hear it as it in of itself is desolate. There's got to be more. It's got to be more than just Jesus. There's got to be more. We've got to add to Jesus something, some obedience, some, some, some laws, some rules, some regulation. There's got to be more. It can't be this simple. And so here's a thought to maybe sprinkle into all the thoughts that have come out this morning. Who was in that desolate place? Jesus. And if Jesus is there, listen, there is no desolate place when Jesus is there. He is more than enough. So don't be tricked. Don't be uh, bewitched, as Paul says it, into thinking that Jesus is not enough. He is more than enough. You do not need law, rules, regulations. You need Jesus. He will never lead you into sin. He, will, he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father. He will never lead you into sin.
He is more than enough. So even if the enemy is trying to trick you to say that Jesus is the desolate, Jesus alone is the desolate thing you need more to bring into him, I'm just telling you, resist that because he is more than enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing love towards us and that while we were still sinners, desolate, depraved, deprived of life, I mean, desolate. (laughs) You broke your body. You shed your blood to take away our sin, to crucify our old man with Christ, to bury our old man with Christ so that we, a new creation, could be raised from the dead with Christ. Behold, the old is gone. The new has come. Father, I pray that we would become a church that actually believes this good news. Not just a church that just kind of gives it lip service, but a church that actually believes, actually lives as though this were real. The reality that Jesus has brought. But we can only do it by absolute dependence upon you. Help us, Father, to sit to sit down in the green grass and receive from you the satisfaction that is more than enough. Twelve baskets enough, more than enough. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.